really wasn't prepared to follow that. That's like, what do you even say after that? But I'm glad Elijah's learning how to eat cereal. I guess that's a good thing. It's great to have you here this morning. Uh, we are starting a new series, and whether you're here on campus or watching us through live stream or online, uh, I'm glad you've decided to engage this morning and throughout the week. Uh, we are starting this Back to Basics uh, series, and and as I thought about what our country is going through, I thought it is important that maybe we just spend a little bit of time getting back to the basics. Uh, when we think of a baseball player who sort of loses their swing or a golfer who, who sort of loses their swing, you know, they go back to the basics. Athletes understand that. And, and we understand that really w- when we talk about sort of advanced techniques, really there's built upon the foundation of the basics of what we learned in, in any discipline, when you think about it, in any discipline. And so we're going to go back to the basics together over the next several weeks, looking at Romans 1 through 8. Now, I need to be honest with you. I thought if there was ever a time to go through Romans 9 through 16, it's now. Romans 9 through 16 deals with a lot of uh, issues that deal with community and, and how to bear with one another and those type of things. And I thought that's really a great uh, series uh, to go through. And the Lord really checked me and said, well, you can't look at those things without really going back to the basics of the gospel as presented in Romans 1 through 8. And so we'll get to 9 to 16 sometime at a later date, but over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at Romans 1 through 8. Romans has totally changed my life. It's by far my favorite book in Scripture. I've been studying it for over three decades. Uh, I, I love the book of Romans but sometimes it can feel like taking a drink from a fire hydrant. Uh, it is so packed with amazing information about the gospel, about God, that, that at times it can feel a little overwhelming. And so I just want to let you know, when I read the book of Romans, what I do is I'm studying it. I'm just thankful for the drops I get. And the more you look at, the deeper uh, um, these truths are sort of are enriched in our souls. Martin Luther writing about Romans, wrote this. This epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. It's worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. I found that to be true in my life and and, and if you're in a small group, uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. If you've ever thought about being in a small group, this would be the time to join. We're going to be using as our outline John Stott's book, Reading Romans with John Stott, Volume 1. That's going to be sort of the outline. And so even if you pick up that book, uh, you'll find that these messages will, will really uh, resonate all the more. It's, it's set up in a six-day reading and then a seven-day question. And so... It's reading Romans with John Stott, volume one, Romans one through eight. Let me just give us a background. Theologically, the book of Romans explains the gospel, explains Christian living. I mean, it's just, Paul just comes right at it. Sociologically, it really molds together the Jewish and Gentile believers. In the early church, there was this, these disagreements between the Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And so the gospel, the true gospel, unites people who are seeking God. No, it divides people who are seeking God and not seeking God, right? But for people seeking God, it unites people. In fact, if the gospel within the Christian community divides people, it's not the true gospel. Or at least people haven't surrendered themselves to the true gospel because the gospel unites believers 
missiologically, Paul really desires for the Christians in Rome to get involved in his mission with Spain. And we won't be dealing with that even in his message because that happens in the second part of the book for the most part. But we will understand this, that when you boil down what the book of Romans is about, it's really about the God who rescues. In fact, God, the name God, is mentioned more than any theological term within the book of Romans. So Romans really talks about the God who rescues. And, and Romans is not primarily then a book about salvation. It's about the God who saves. We dive in and we learn more about God. Well, in the preface of Romans, verses 1 through 7, as we jump in, just deep dive into the book, we'll find that Paul introduces himself twofold. And so we're going to look at that. But he also talks about the substance and the scope of the gospel. So look with me, Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is Paul's introduction. And Paul's introduction, he describes himself in two ways. He says, I am a servant. And he says, what else? I'm an apostle. And really, these are, are very important titles that Paul uses of himself. The, the idea of servant really speaks, if you will, of a position and posture. Now, what do I mean by that? When Paul talks about being a servant, he could really be referring to two things biblically. He could be referring to in the Old Testament when all the prophets were known as slaves or servants to God. We see that over and over again in the Old Testament. That a prophet, someone proclaiming the good news, is known as a servant to God. But he also could be looking at just what was prevalent throughout the Roman Empire, and that's being a slave. And I want to pose to you that Paul's probably has both meanings in mind. That when he's writing to those in Rome, by the way, the city of Rome, it said, could have had more slaves in Rome than actual free people. And so slavery was an understood concept. Now, there's a big difference between the slavery that Paul has to God and the slavery that's happening throughout the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, a slave was usually uh, marked by a, a ring around their neck, and, and that was placed there, almost impossible to get, take off by any individual. You needed help to do that. But Paul, if he were to have such a ring around his neck, he was holding it himself. He chose to be a servant of God. That was his desire to do that. Now, why do I say it's a posture in a position? It's a posture because servanthood, the way that Paul is using it, is a decision he's made. He's decided to serve God, which means that God's will has become his will. Whatever God's will, that's what he's about. But it's also a position in the sense that he belongs to God. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're called to be servants. 
we're called to take a servant posture. And if we're serving God, guess what? We also serve others. And so Paul, interesting enough, he starts his letter by saying, look, I'm a servant to God, but because I'm a servant to God, I'm also a servant to you. He's writing in love. And what he's writing, he wants them to understand, isn't his will for them, it's God's will for him. And since it's God's will for them, it is his will for them. The second thing he says is he's an apostle, and this really speaks of calling. The word apostle is, is a pretty big word for us uh, in the church because the, the church is built upon the teaching of the apostles, and, and Paul is one of the apostles. In fact, he's one that has been strangely called. Now, in the church, there's a gift of apostleship. That's usually spoken of those who start ministries like missionaries and church planners, but this isn't what we're speaking of here. We're actually talking about Paul's call as an apostle. The other 12 who were called to be apostles, Jesus said, come and follow me. Paul is told to follow Jesus, but you may recall he's told on the road to Damascus. This is after Jesus' resurrection, and, and, and he's strangely called, he'll later write in one of his letters, unusually called to be an apostle, a leader in the church. And so Paul's saying to them, look, I'm a servant of God, and therefore I serve you, but understand I am an apostle. So the things I write, I'm not just writing because, again, I will them for you. I write them because it's God's will for you. And since God wills it, I will it for you. So this is who Paul is. And when the Romans received a letter just like us, we should sort of perk up when we realize that Paul's a servant and that he's an apostle and that the words that he writes is going to totally point to, to the one who saves. He he says, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is supreme, and Jesus is supremely God. He says he's that in my life, and he needs to be that in your life as well. Now, to the substance of the gospel, he writes, the substance of the gospel is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Paul writes in his letters, and John in his, and Peter's in his, if any gospel is built on anything else besides Jesus Christ, it's not the real gospel. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is supreme. The scope of the gospel is everyone, every nation. In other words, the gospel isn't connected to any ethnic group. It's not connected to any social class. If you're leaving and breathing, if you're a person, the gospel is for you. It doesn't matter what you've done, we're going to discover. It doesn't matter how good you think you've been or how bad you know you are. The gospel's for you. It's for every single person. Then we read of the faith of the believers in Rome and Paul's indebtedness to share the faith with others. Romans 1, 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. By the way, is that not a statement? He's writing to a church, and he's saying, your faith is known throughout the world. He's not exaggerating. He's saying that anywhere you go, people have heard of the faith of the Romans. What an amazing thing. Verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, 
that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have not have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The faith of the Roman believers is world-renowned, and we discover that Paul is a debtor. Now again, Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, not usually associated with things that are good. If you weren't a Roman, you weren't excited about Rome. And yet something has happened within Rome which is quite radical, and that's people are coming to Christ like crazy. And the faith that's taking birth in Rome is beginning to transform the city. In fact, at some point in history, you're going to find an emperor who proclaims that the Roman Empire is now Christian. And historians argue about what's happening there. Did the emperor simply use Christianity as a way to, to, get, to gain favor? Is it, is it that he proclaimed something that wasn't true? And most historians will say all he did was acknowledge which was already true. But an empire that was once plagued by, by, by disgusting acts have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many, 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 many years before that happened, Paul already says, we know what's happening in Rome, that the gospel is transforming people, it's transforming the culture, it's transforming the way that people think. I've often thought when an individual thinks, I just don't know what God can do in my life, or I don't know what God can really do to this family, you know? You ever had those thoughts with your family? Like, we're, there's just so much here. I don't know what God can do with us. Or how about our city or our nation? What, what, what can God do here? I'm like, God transformed one of the most evil cities ever to exist. He can transform me. He can transform us. He's a difference maker. And I love the fact that, that Paul says, I, I've, I've, I've spoken about you. And in particular, he says, I've spoken about you in prayer. Although Paul is far away from Rome. Matter of fact, he says, I've prevented from coming to you. It's like you can sort of picture him planning out his missionary trip and all of a sudden God going, not this time, getting out the eraser. I haven't been able to come to you yet, but my prayers have. My prayers are with you. You don't need me to tell you that prayer is under attack. There'll be people who will say, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't need your prayers. You need to do something. Well, can I just share with you before, don't do a thing until you've prayed. Come on, church. If you don't pray first, I would just say don't step out. Because prayer is what unleashes the resources of heaven into a situation. Now, by the way, if you pray, you need to also obey. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is when Jesus says to the disciples, I love this, because this is the way God often works. He says, pray that there'll be workers to go out into the harvest. And you can see the disciples saying, I can do that. I can can pray that prayer. And then what does he do right after that? He says, go, answer the prayer. You know, you pray for your neighbor, right? 
oh God, please, you know, reach my neighbor. And then one time you, you're in prayer and you hear the spirit go, go next door. <laughs> be the answer to that prayer. So I get why the world may sometimes be confused when we first go to prayer. Because sometimes I, if we just were to be honest, we pray and then we sort of walk away. And Paul says, no, and we see his desire to go to the Romans. No, no, I've been praying, and I am ready to obey. God, whenever you want to send me, I'm ready, I'm ready to come. And he wants to come because he wants there to be this mutual blessing to happen between them. And, and what a beautiful picture of why we gather as a church. He starts off, and he says, I want you to be blessed by my presence. He goes, but wait a minute, I also want to be blessed by you. That when we gather as a church, it's not just about receiving, it's about giving to one another. But any time that two, even two believers come together, there should be mutual blessing in their fellowship. We should like, God should be using us to bless each other. It's why when the gospel power transforms a family, there's something different within that family because when they gather together, they're not just family, they're not just husband and wife and children, they're the church of God gathering together. And when the church of God gathering is together, it's supposed to be mutual blessing. Power of God, blessing happening in their midst. When the relationship is what it should be, the blessings run both directions, so to speak. Then Paul announces that he's obligated. He's a debtor to share the gospel with everyone. I love his wording here. It's so powerful. Now, there's a couple of ways in which you can be indebted to somebody. The first we're often familiar with. You can be indebted with somebody because they loan you money, and now you need to pay them back. All of us have experienced that, I'm sure. It, it, the fun part's when they lend it and you get what you want. The bad part's when you have it and realize you don't own it yet because you still got to pay for it. Come on now. That's one way. I don't think that's the way Paul is talking about indebtedness here. So here's another way that Stott explains so well in his writings that really just opened this up for me. He says, the other way you can be indebted is if your friend gives me money for you. And so he gives me the money, and I'm indebted to give it to you because he's given me the money for you. Does that make sense? The gospel is that way. Somebody was indebted to share the gospel with me. Why? Because someone had shared the gospel with them. Their life had been transformed, and because God had done that work within them, they felt a debt to share it with somebody else. And in fact, the reality of it is we don't truly understand the gospel, at least we haven't submitted ourselves as Paul has as a servant, and whatever our calling is, we're not called to be apostles the work of the apostles are done, but the work of ministry continues within the giftedness and calling that God places upon our life. But we don't truly understand this and what God has done in us unless there's an indebtedness to share it to somebody else. To look at our, our neighbors and our community and the world around us and say, what God has done for me, I want to share with others. Come on, church. In fact, the reality of it is perhaps some of us have once been in that place where the Spirit of God has so worked in our life that we crave to share it with others. But that fire has dimmed. 
That desire no longer is there. Well, let me tell you, if you're in Christ, the coals are still active. Let the Spirit of God stoke those coals up and let it blaze again. May revival fall upon our lives. The desire and indebtedness. I've got to share the good news with those around me. By the way, in word and deed, don't share the words of the gospel if you're not going to live a transformed deeds of the gospel. Come on, church. Let people see the gospel work. Then when they ask, guess what? We have an answer. I have, in a sick way, found a very strong benefit out of COVID-19. And that is almost everyone I have a conversation with may not use these words, but they say, where is the hope? Every Christian should crave that question. Like, that's the greatest question ever. And when they ask it of you, you just got permission. Are you, are you really asking? Come on now. I've had more conversations through a mask, more conversations with people who have asked the question, where's the hope? What's going on? How, how can I thrive in the midst of this? They may not use those words, but that's what they're asking. And I go, thank you so much for asking. Let me share with you what God's done in me. I'm a work in progress, and I pray you are as well. Paul was indebted as a person who was just compelled to share the gospel. In fact, when we come to salvation in Christ, we're compelled by his love to share his message with those far from God but so close to his heart. We do realize that, right, church? Those who say, oh, I'm far from God. Those who say, I couldn't go into that church building because if I did, it would burn down. You've heard those type of things. Do you realize they're the people so close to God's heart? He doesn't love them more, but he's sort of, he's just like, that's their kid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, how many of you have children? How many of you have ever been a child? I mean, there, there are some kids which are easy, right? And then there are some kids that, well, they're just not so easy. And you love them all the same, don't you? But where do you find your, like, the one who's not so easy, right? You're like, oh. I just want it, I want more for you. I can't help but think that's how God the Father. I think it would blow people's minds. Those of us who are a little easier than others. By the way, if you think you're really easy, you're probably not. But those who are more easier than others, God loves you the same. He does. But I think those who are far from God would be blown away if they realize how much God just craves. Then Paul writes, verses 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Oh, church, family, look at me for a minute. Camp there for just a second with me. May we not be ashamed of the gospel. May we not be ashamed of the gospel. I will not hide I'm a believer. I will not hide what the scripture teaches. I will not hide what God has done in my life. I am not ashamed. Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God. By the way, that word power comes from a Greek word where we get our word dynamite. Isn't that beautiful? Like the gospel is dynamite power. You know, it's, it's, it's nuclear. It's it's. 
It's explosive in a good way. For I'm not ashamed, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is powerful in that it saves and reveals the righteousness of God. It's the good news. It's it's to be preached and shared and lived. Notice that Paul doesn't ask for the gospel to be powerful. He says the gospel is powerful. But we don't have to give it power. It's already got it. The gospel's powerful. We recognize the gospel's power and the, the Son of God becoming incarnate, living a sinless life, suffered, was crucified and buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven, preparing a place for us, promised to come back. That, that, that Jesus said, when I leave, you're going to get a gift as believers. The very Spirit of God is going to indwell you. That's the power of God at work in our very lives. Sinful people far from God are able to hear and respond to the gospel. God has taken this profound truth, if you will, much like my mom would take, like if she didn't want me to eat the cookies, she'd put it on the fridge back before I couldn't reach them. She couldn't do that for too long, by the way. But when she would allow me to have, when I came home from school and she would take those cookies and place them on the counter where my hands would reach, I knew I could devour. And God has taken the cookies off this divine fridge, so to speak, and has put it on the ledge so we can actually reach it and approach it. Allow its power to penetrate our hearts and our souls. Those in Christ are called by God. They're they're justified by grace, made right with the Lord, regenerated by the Spirit, united with Christ, adopted into God's family, and filled with the very Spirit of God. That's power. That's power. Through Jesus Christ, we can be transformed. We can be made new. Those of us who once lived in chaos can bring peace. Oh my goodness, our nation needs peace right now. And and dare I say they're looking at it, they're looking for it in all the wrong places. Peace never comes from division, it only comes from Christ, whose true gospel has the power to unite. To bring forgiveness and humility and love and respect. There is no equality without Jesus. Jesus is the equalizer. Come on, church. The power of the gospel. And it reveals the very righteousness of God. I love that. What do we mean when we say that God is righteous? It means he's always true to his character. He's holy, he's pure, he's good. Francis Schaeffer explained, Martin Luther proclaimed justification by faith alone. And of course, this is taught throughout the Bible and is included in what Paul says here. But he goes further. After being justified by faith, we, we live by faith. Look at verse 17 again. For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I love what J.B. Lightfoot wrote. He, he wrote this simple statement that I think just really encapsulates what Paul is saying there in verse 17. He says, faith is the starting point and the goal. That when we say yes to Jesus, it's not the end, it's the beginning of a relationship. And we come to him in faith, and we walk every day in faith, don't we, church? And we strive to grow in faith and to share that faith. And it's the righteousness of God. And by by the way, righteousness is a legal term. Righteous is to be right, just, and good. And again, it speaks of 
of positive actions. It speaks of who God is, but it also speaks of who we are in God when we come to Christ because the very righteousness of Jesus fills us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin that through him we might become the righteousness of God. That's power. So if you're a follower of Christ today, you may not feel righteous, but in Jesus you are. If that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what does. It's covering you. God is righteous. And he shares his righteousness with us. And, and we come to him in this dynamite gospel transforms us. I ask you three questions this morning. Three questions. Three questions that could radically not just change your life, but the life of everyone around you. The first is this. Are you saved? I don't mean, are you coming to a church service? I don't mean, are you working really hard to be good? I mean, have you surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will be saved. That's what we do. We believe he saves us. Are you saved? And if not, man, I just encourage you this morning, don't put it off. You may feel far from God, but you're so close to his heart. Receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. The second is this. Are you being sanctified? Now, that's not a word we, don't, we use much outside of uh, church. But it is, too, a powerful word because when we come to Christ, he begins to make us more and more like Jesus. That's what sanctified means. Are you in the journey of being made more and more like Jesus? That doesn't happen, by the way, just because you say you want it. It happens because we partner with him to do that work in our life. We get in the word. We study with other people. We pray dangerous prayers like, Lord, make me a peacemaker. And he says, okay, I'm going to put you into chaos. Or give me patience. Okay, I'm going to put you before the worker who's the most annoying person in the world. Or give me strength. Okay, let's go through the deep waters together. Or make me like Jesus. Refine me. May the power of the gospel chisel away at this marble so that I can be the man of God or woman of God you've created me to be. And then the third is this. Are you sharing? I really think that third one is a great indicator of these. But we all share in different ways. But are you sharing? Do you feel an indebtedness to share? Not, not, a, not a condemnation to share, a real burden, a, a desire to see people enter into the kingdom. Every morning are you saying, God, use me today however you want to. Fill my day with divine appointments, things that I could never plan but you have for me. These three things really speak of transformation. And transformation really speaks of gospel power. Church family, I just got to be honest with you. My prayer has been for months now, Lord, may your gospel power do something new and fresh in and through me. In this time in which you've allowed me to continue to take breath, would you draw me ever closer to you, that you would consume me 
that I could be your servant, that I could fulfill the calling you've placed on my life, that, that, I, would, that I would reflect what it means to, to be in a right relationship with God, becoming like Jesus. Lord, would you let my life and my words be a, an example to others of how they can come and know Jesus, not because I'm all that, because of the one that's everything is in me. Would you do that? And I don't know where you are this morning, but wherever you are on sort of that, that spectrum, I don't even know if that's the right word to use anymore, but on that spectrum, would you say, Lord, do it now? I want to be yours. I want the marks of being yours. I want you to transform me. I believe you have the power to transform me. Transform me. Transform our After all, we're not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to save. Faith from beginning. Father God, thank you so much for allowing us to, to either gather in this space on the Canandaigua campus or watching live stream in our own homes, maybe even throughout the week online. Thank you for your gospel is unlimited by time. It's only limited by our decision whether or not to accept it. And so, God, I ask it this morning that if there's anyone who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, but right now in the quietness of their heart, that they would take that dynamic step of saying yes to you, of proclaiming you as, as Lord and Savior of their life. Lord, the gospel is powerful. It has the power to, to save, but... But, Lord God, it has power to transform. And, Lord, I pray that we would be transformed by you. Each and every day, made more and more into the image of your Son, more and more into the image of the man and woman of God that you've created us to be. That's not something we can manufacture. It's not something that just comes because we just work really hard at it. It comes because of your Spirit working in us. Oh, God, thank you for the work you're doing in me. I've said this many times. I, I, I thank you, but I'm not what I used to be. And I know I'm not what I ought to be, but thank you, Lord God, that you're changing me every day. And Lord, I, I pray for us as a church family. I pray for our city. I pray for our region. I pray for our country. I pray throughout the world where, where Crosswinds has a little footprint because of missionaries we support and works that are being done there. God, would you use us not for our renown, but for yours? To see the, the power of the gospel saturate, bring an awakening, to revive us. So that all will have the opportunity to know of your love, of your salvation, of your power. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.